Everybody and welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Prince, the show of writing down your dreams, creating anything you possibly can, and Scotch whiskey. Tomorrow, June first, two thousand nineteen, is officially Ardbeg Day. So it is my pleasure to bring you the first of two chats, considering two of the greatest minds behind the Ardbeg brand. This first chat with Dr. Bill Lumsden is just delightful. He was recently in town talking about the new Glenmorangie Alta, which we talk about here in the interview, a very lovely scotch. And it's one of those intrepid, bold projects that I think Dr. Bill really, really gets proud of. He pats himself on the back for being the innovator and the first to do these things. And you know what? He damn well deserves it. So the first of two chats releasing today. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Dr. Bill Lumsden. Are you maybe the prince of Scotch? That always appealed to me, the fact that on the albums it was written, composed, produced, arranged and performed by Prince and I thought I like that. And certainly within the Glenmorangie company, I'm very territorial. I'm like a tomcat. Yeah, and I yeah. do not like other people interfering in what I do. So from that perspective, yeah. It's I funny that you learned how to play drums just so someone else didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really interesting way. All these different flavors. I mean, you have this brilliant back, billboard behind you, Kintaruba, mm. the original Lasanta and stuff. Really worldly mm. flavors. You keep doing new things and you keep innovating. And I'm wondering where you get the inspiration for this. Well, it comes from all sorts of different areas. And this is going to sound ever so slightly sad, Mike, but I've got a little book I keep. And I usually keep it beside my bed because I have very vivid dreams every day. And sometimes I go back and review them and it sparks off an idea. But sometimes it can be something somebody said. Like you could, for example, tell me about a new flavor you're trying to introduce to your gin, and that sure. might make me think, ah, wonder if I can do something like that. Really? And, you know, I, I, as a wine lover, obviously I've had a lot of inspiration from using different types of wine casts, mm. so there is no one simple answer to that. Yeah, so it comes from the world itself. Yep. You appreciate different places? Traveling? Oh, very much. I love traveling and seeing different things, and... You know, it's not always safe to do what I do, depending on where I am. Yeah. But I love just wondering, if I'm in a new city, just wandering about. And I'll walk for miles and miles. I know I'll walk 15, 20 miles a day sometimes. Really? Just seeing things. Were you ever a painter? Was there ever a visual medium for you? Were no, you un- unfortunately, that is one branch of the arts that I totally suck at. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can paint with your palette, in a, in a sense, right? <laughs> You know, I was asking to uh, a lot of the people I talked to are in the mezcal industry and people that have started this thing because mm. it's a beautiful spirit as well. And I ask about colors mm. when you taste things. Mm. Somehow blue is something with real fresh crisp, like Odovis yeah. that come to mind. But if you think about, let's say, La Santa or even the Alta, yeah. 
what kind of colors come to mind when you're tasting it? Well, certainly in terms of La Santa, it's much more autumnal colors, yeah. fall colors. So deep reds and rust color and mm. tobacco color and things like that. Yeah. Whereas Alta is very crisp. So to me, it's yellows and greens. Yeah. And it's interesting you ask me that because I absolutely do envisage flavors in terms of colors. It's, it's kind of like a spectrum, yeah. right? Yeah. Is there anything? How about a green color? I think vegetal and kind of crisp and yeah. you know, grassy, no, but Green to me uh, is very, very fresh and maybe verging on being tropical yeah. rather than oh, vegetal interesting yeah. okay kind of like an unripe mango something like that unripe mango unripe bananas yeah papayas things like that very interesting and, and green also for what this is worth is my favorite color is i've it? always loved green which sits rather uneasily for a Glasgow Rangers <laughs> supporter because Rangers are blue and Celtic the deadly rivals are green it's terrible. <laughs> you know it's funny too i think about isla and it, it, I've not yet had the pleasure to go, but everything I've seen about an experience from it is like this day, right here. Pretty normal bit. for Scotty Land. So this feels pretty good. You're yeah. in Austin, but yep. it feels just yeah. like home. I mean, it, basically the weather doesn't phase me. Yeah. Because, you know, we get some nice weather in Scotland and we get a lot of rotten weather, yeah. so you just go on with it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> good whiskey, bad whiskey alike <laughs> as well, right? So this story, you know, I think about... There's lots that has been written about your accolades as a distiller and as a blender mm. and all these things. But, you know, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper. It looks like in 75 is when you enter uni in Glasgow, the University of Glasgow. And then there's this path of pure science. But before that, were you maybe considering some other realms? Maybe music, maybe biology? You know? I, I have to say that um, in terms of my studies at school, I was always much more orientated towards science. Yeah. Although I've always had a very vivid imagination, so certain elements of the arts yeah. in terms of writing stories and things yeah. always appealed to me. And, you know, I've, I've got a ridiculously vivid imagination. And one of my best friends at school, Ian McKenzie, him and I had great fun inventing stories and situations. Yeah, yeah. And our favorite phrase was, imagine if... <laughs> and then we wax lyrical about it. Oh, no kidding. So that's possibly the other angle I would have gone down. But the other thing that really deeply interested me as I got a little bit older was um, fabric, cloth, fabric. weaving of Textiles? cloth. Yeah. And, really? you know, Sc Scotland has such a rich history of that. And I love all the different colors that can be put into it, yeah. the different feeling of the tweed, whether it's Harris tweed or cashmere or things like sure. that. But, you know, essentially science was where it was at did you ever have or now have a leisure suit made out of velvet i aspire I, mm. my dad just retired right. he's I, gonna get one i did at one stage when i was a very young boy <laughs> yeah. have a pair of chocolate brown velvet bell-bottomed <laughs> trousers but after all my friends kicked the absolute shit out of me for wearing them <laughs> i'm joking here so no i i've not yet had such a thing i've got many many suits i'm a complete shopaholic yeah. It's a nice jacket you have Thank now. Thank you. What, you, what, you're 38 wide, 41? Uh, 42. 42, okay. Yeah. At 6'1". I mean, yeah. I'll be lucky if I can fit into like a 38 <laughs> short, you know. I, I, I am the most common size, which is good in some respects, yeah. but as a Scottish person who's a bargain hunter, you don't find much in the sale of oh. my, my common size. Does the science aspect, is that come from your parents or the family? Or? Not at all. I, I, I really don't quite know where it came from but I always had a natural bent towards it yeah. and 
from when I was a little boy, I had a microscope and I used to dissect flies and spiders and things and yeah. look at it down there. I had very early chemistry sets. Myself and a few of my friends used to um, purloin chemicals from the chemistry lab <laughs> at school and try and make our own explosives and things like that. Do you remember the I first time you spilled hydrochloric acid on your hand? <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and you never do it again. It's then sulfuric acid. It hurts more that That's time, right? <laughs> then eventually you move up the scale to phosphoric. <laughs> so you were... Th this is the thing I, th that I'm beginning to see, that I, that I now I can... Mm. I feel expressed via the, the bottles of Glenmorangie, mm. right? You're a creative guy, so no one's going to tell you that something can't be done. Kind of what if, mm -hmm. or why not mm. do it? But at the same time, you're able to analyze it at probably a molecular level and say this is why this could work. Too. So you study at the University of Glasgow, you're doing kind of stuff with the yeast and microbiology and stuff like yeah. that. And when you got done, what do you do with such a background? Okay, so by the time I got to the end of my studies, I could have done one of three things and I could have moved into a more sort of uh, medical, biochemical yeah, type yeah. of thing. Or I could have gone into applied and industry in terms of some field of biotechnology, yeah. which also includes brewing and distilling. Sure. Or I could have continued my studies and eventually with the aim of becoming a lecturer at university. Oh. But uh, honestly, it was my discovery of single malt scotch whiskey and my love of that that made me think, right, this is it. This is destiny calling. So that, yeah. that that's how it happened. So up until I, I've heard, this is funny too, is that there's actually kind of a, a, a trail or an audit trail mm. of your first experience mm. with scotch is given your great experience. Mm. I heard one was 1984. Was the Na 1984 was, was the, the right? first time I tasted single malt scotch. Yeah. And I had tasted blended scotch on a few occasions and it never quite worked with me. Yeah. But this first time in Edinburgh when I was studying of Glenmorangie 10-year-old and then Balveni and then a few others, that really got me into the category. It made sense. Uh, roughly how old were you in 84? I was 24. 20, oh, perfect age yeah. then to find it. Because you're just smart enough. Mm -hmm. You have had all the bad... Did you have the bad drinking phase? Little, oh, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. all do, right? Yeah, no, my, my first experience of scotch ended not just in tears, but also <laughs> in bloodshed. So oh, it, was, it, was a, it was a very bad experience <laughs> indeed. But funnily enough, my dad always said to me, he, he said, Billy, you will come to like whiskey. Yeah. He said, I'm not going to push you into it, but there will come a stage where you will like it and appreciate it. Mm. And the other thing is you, you, you'll like Guinness as well. Yeah. So he introduced me sort of to the idea of liking whiskey. And he actually physically introduced me to my first pint of Guinness, which I hated, by the way. Yeah. But, you know, I persevered with it. And by the 12th <laughs> pint, guess what? <laughs> it goes down just right. like mother's milk, they say, right? <laughs> So another two to four years, kind of, because this is the thing, you know, when you made this decision to move into the whiskey realm, had you already finished the PhD work? No, no, I, I, my PhD was from 83 to 86. And by then I'd very much decided that the whiskey industry was where my destiny lay. Yeah. And a wonderful uh, charismatic lecturer at, at Heriot Watt University, uh, Dr. Jeff Palmer, now Professor Sir Jeff Palmer, oh, wow. as he is. And he was a West Indian gentleman. And he got a knighthood for his work in race relations with the Metropolitan Police in the UK, believe oh, wow. it or not. But Jeff took me under his wing 
and introduced me to lots of individuals working in the whiskey industry. Yeah. Made sure I always went along to the guest lecture evenings. And so I applied for and got a job as a research scientist with the Distillers Company Limited, DCL, the Agio as they are now. So I actually got my job pretty much at the first attempt, which, you know, was just a bit of luck more than anything. Um, Did you know someone over there? I knew a couple of people there, but they just happened to be looking for someone with my background at the time. So I left the university a few months earlier than I was intending, and it then took another two years to write my PhD thesis up, which wasn't ideal, but there was no way I was going to turn down the opportunity of this job with the DCL. And and then I I always think about going into the PhD work. It's really a good point. There is a dichotomy because you could be teaching right now, right? Following maybe in the footsteps of your, you know, but whiskey holds you aside. What did the PhD end up being in? The, the, the PhD was, uh, the official title was the effects of carbon dioxide pressure on the cell division cycle of budding and fish and yeasts. <laughs> Bit of a mouthful. I was basically looking at the way yeast grew and divided yeah. um, with different fermentation conditions in it. And, uh, you know, one of the things one of the lecturers said to me, and I often say to people that, you know, don't get too hung up on the actual subject you're studying for your PhD. Right. Just use it as an experience to learn how to work on your own and plan laboratory work and write up results. That's sure. the main thing about a PhD. Right, Having maybe developing a method, but you know, self-proclaimed, you are not scattered brain because you're very orderly, but these ideas are maybe erratic oh, at times. Oh, no, no, I'm very, very scatterbrained. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What kind of keeps you in line? Now, the, I guess one of the things is the process of whiskey mm. is step one, two. Uh, but if I'm absolutely honest yeah. about it, when my back is against the wall, I know I have to deliver. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe going to use some naughty language sure, here. Sure, unsavory. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I often say to myself when I'm in real high-pressure situations of presenting to the board of Moat Hennessy, yeah, or for right. example, I always say to myself, Billy boy, if you do not perform here, you're fucking dead. Yeah. It's as simple as that. So I'm a little bit disorganized. I've got a good team round about me. But when it comes to having to deliver, we always deliver. I don't always. like disappointing people. Yeah. When it comes to delivering on the road, yeah. you've got a captive audience there mm. hinging on your every word. Do you like that component of it too? Getting out of the lab, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I I love meeting with consumers and trade, and believe it or not, it really does help me think about new products. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I've always had this view that it doesn't matter how much I love the whiskies I make. If no one else loves them, then what's the point? That's a great point. So it's good to get feedback. But yeah, I like doing things like that. It, it sometimes is high pressure, and I, I am my own biggest critic. Yeah. Um, I was brought up as a, a, a Lutheran, but I'm a closet Roman Catholic because oh. I flail the skin off my back on Super a daily, guilty ba- all the time, right? daily basis. I am not <laughs> worthy. <laughs> but you know, you know, do... Has your humility ever been tested, given the accolades that you've received, the, the people holding you in such I, high I, regard? I, I would honestly like to say not, Mike. And I think anyone who knows me knows that I am quite a humble guy. Yeah. I, I, I had my annual performance appraisal review with our new chief exec last week. 
And I was kind of talking about 2018 as not being a good year. And it, it Wait, was for, for you or for the company? Uh, for, for, for me, it was I a see. tough year. My father died oh, and there was various things like that happened. But Tom, the new boss, said, Bill, you did pretty okay. And he, he said, what about you winning um, Master Distiller of the Year for right. the second time in this competition? And I said, yeah, nice. Don't even give it a second yeah. thought, do you? Just, yeah. I've had, you know, one of my friends for a long time, he was a screenwriter, and he'd suffered through writing, living on the floor, trying mm. to sell a script and all of this. And one year, he finally broke out at Sundance. He had two movies debuting at Sundance. And mm. finally, he kind of came into his own and received some kind of acknowledgement mm. finally. But knowing that you have these awards and knowing that you're releasing these amazing whiskeys, does it ever feel like you've got to keep that high and keep oh, that level yeah, of yeah. performance? I mean, you, you're only as good as your last hit record, right. as exactly. they say. And in some respects, having a lot of success like that actually builds more pressure yeah, on right. you because there is an expectation you're just going to win these things all the time and yeah. win awards. And it doesn't always work that way. Yeah. So is that, is that another source of pressure then too? Yeah, yeah, I would say Where's so. Where's the hits, Bill? Where's but, the next number uh, one, right? Yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm very single-minded in what I'm doing. and I'm, This is going to sound very strange to try and describe it, but when I'm judging my whiskies and I'm making things, it's almost like I'm not thinking about it. I just know. You know, you get Intuition? Your, your, you're feeling it yeah. more than you're actually uh, rationally thinking it. That's uh, a true artistic yeah. And that, that's what at. I'm trying to install in Brendan, my right-hand yeah, man, wonderful. who I, th I think maybe you yeah, met. Um, him, yeah. that, uh, I can't write a manual for Brendan to say you do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. You just have to live the brand and get used to it. And when I'm approving samples in the lab, I just know instantly if it's right or if it's wrong. Yeah. And I, I can't actually explain how that's come about other than experience and intuition. It's Man, it's like romance. Yeah. You know, it is compatibility. Do you, and it doesn't have to be a specific whiskey, but are you ever caught in a place in the middle where you know, something, you know, know something's bad? That's easy, yeah. right? You know something's good. Oh, shit, that's good. But where it's so perplexing and mm -hmm. maybe cerebral that it keeps it even takes you aback i mean it, it, in terms of being caught in the middle yeah um, that you said there i don't know what that word means there is no <laughs> middle middle ground in the world of billy lumsden yeah. it's all or nothing and i'm not interested in anything else that's amazing so it doesn't affect me that way but the second part of the question like what, what was that it's just that you know if you if i think you've answered because if you're feel you you're committing to it yeah either it's gone or it's in, right? Mm -hmm. There is no middle ground. So that's the true testament, again, to your prince-like yeah. nature. <laughs> You're going to wear pants yeah. without, you know, ass cheeks. On yeah. them, so it, I think that's a really bold thing. And it, do you learn that kind of bravery or lack of fear, or is it just I, I think it just comes with experience. Yeah. And, you know, having worked in the industry for more than 30 years, I, I kind of know what I'm doing now. Yeah. So, I, again... Like it's not something I sit down and analyze. Yeah. And, you know, there's no question I will never be CEO of the company. <laughs> I'm far too disorganized right. and far too much of a dreamer for that. Yeah. But I think the kind of personality I have is right for the job I do just now. I think so, because you're an incubator of ideas, <laughs> yeah. you know? Has there ever been something with technology or with resources that you had that actually limited or prevented you? from doing something that you wanted to do? 
I think the the thing that has maybe prevented me from doing some things is the very strict set of laws governing the Scotch uh, whisky industry, yeah. which incidentally are very good for our industry because they provide a degree of integrity and authenticity. Mm. So I'm very much in favour of them. But sometimes I'm thinking, God, I'd really like to try that. Right. Actually, I couldn't call it Glenmorangie. I couldn't call it... But I, I'm actually now... In, in in my later years actually trying these things just to see yeah. what happens what's there. the worst that can happen now you know you know the, the the worst that can happen is that you've got a batch of stuff that has to go down the drain yeah it doesn't happen that often but again from trying these things on a limited scale it might just spur a thought of how you can do it legally and that's yeah. happened a few times it forces you when your back's yeah. against the wall to innovate yeah you know i think that's i think that pressure for some people, they don't want that. Mm. But I almost feel like you thrive on it. I, I, I think it, it, it helps me at the end of the day. And, you know, I, I again, I, I don't necessarily plan long term for things. And when yeah. it comes towards the deadline, suddenly I think, shit, right, I'm going to get stuck in about this. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very mm. oh, impromptu kind of extemporaneous mm. way to live, which means you you pretty whimsical person when it oh, comes up and yeah. up, yeah? yeah. Go you talk about walking all over the world. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a really element. It's an element of Glenn right. Warren, right? Yeah. It is kind of you. So then, you know, this whole story is a 95 or 98 in which you joined the, the Glenn Warren. I joined Glenn Warren in 95, right at the beginning of 95. And you you can't talk about, you know, you've got these two kids, multiple <laughs> bottles, but yeah. in terms of the concepts and the flavors, it's like Dr. Jekyll. Mr. Oh, yeah. The, the, they're so different. And, you know, there's there's not a lot of crossover Right. In right. terms of making whiskies for Glenmorangie and Ardbeg. But again, I love that. And the other thing which I think has helped me yeah. in some respects, hindered me in others, is I've got an astonishingly low boredom threshold. <laughs> and that, that once helps me want to explore and try new things. Yeah. And you know, not everything I try is good. I end up in some sticky situations. And again, my friend Ian McKenzie and I, even if we'd had a really bad experience where we got beaten up right. or arrested or something, we would look back on it as a positive because it was something different. Yeah. That's, I mean, where did you become so optimistic? And bright, like, you know? I, I, I've just always had this degree of optimism yeah. about me. And I, I like to think I'm an inherently happy person. It seems, and again, it seems you, like you, it, yeah. You've got me going off at a little tangent here. But one, one of my early romances ended because the girl got fed up with me lying on the floor of her bedroom in fits of laughter <laughs> over something totally <laughs> stupid. But I do get amused very easily by the slightest things. Well, at least you're... It's the joie de vivre, right? Like just having a lust for life. I think that's a really important thing. So, you know, I've you know, I've read about the sales increases and all of this and kind of what you've built with these two amazing distilleries. And every year, you know, there's a special release of Glen Moranges, a special release of Ardbeg, which can't wait to have you talk about mm -hmm. it at some point here in the near, near future. You've got a great team, you know, but so this year we've got a the tenth edition. Yep. Of Glen Morangy private yeah. selection or private cask? Private edition. Private edition. Yeah. So 10, I mean, you know, that's the big one. Yeah. The 10th anniversary in a sense. And you bring something that takes you back to the roots, yeah. which is back I, to that yeast, back to the I, lab. And it's also arguably the most innovative of the 10 really? of them. And it's something I've been working on for years and years. 
And if I'm honest about it, the, the reason it was released now was that I was getting fed up reading so many other distilleries who are going to do something that's never been done before, yeah. use wild yeast. And I thought, yes, it has. <laughs> I, I did it many years ago. So I, th I think it's a very fitting product for the 10th anniversary yeah. release. And again, when myself and the former marketing director kind of dreamt this concept up all these years ago, I honestly didn't think it would have such longevity. Really? Just like a flash, yeah. like just yeah. pub talk. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought we'd have a few expressions and I would continue to innovate, yeah. but to actually have this rather formal vehicle for releasing the results of the innovation has been great. And I'm highly delighted to see that the kind of idea is now being copied by other distillers. And, you right. know, w William Grant's with their Glenfiddich series have a nice, some interesting ideas. They right. are quite different from mine, but interesting to see that. And I'd like to think that we've maybe sort of spurred that on in people. A tide of innovation. You've inspired them, they've inspired yeah. you. Uh, Being such a self-sufficient mm -hmm. person intellectually and with your abilities blending, do you ever want to collaborate with other people? Yeah, I, I would like to do that, but it's not always easy to do. Yeah. But, you know, my, my industry peer group, which includes such luminaries as Richard Patterson yeah. and David Stewart and Ian McMillan and Jim Beveridge, we meet quite often in terms of on committees and judging in competitions. Yeah. And while we don't actually have a direct collaboration because from a brand perspective, that might be tricky. Sure. You know, we do help each other out and we give each other ideas. I think that's good. It's a brain trust. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I'm trying to think, if, you know, because I always use the Beatles as an example every mm. time, especially as we're talking 10 things that are completely different, mm. having to reinvent yourself, having to innovate mm. with technology that's available at the time, all this stuff. I mean, you kind of read like a John Lennon to me. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that fair? I think of, of, of the four, yeah. he would definitely be the one. He's the one that most inspired me. Yeah, okay. And I've always felt he really was the power behind Absolutely. The, 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 the guts, Beatles. the boss. Yeah. And he did, he did things differently. I mean, some of the things he did didn't sit easily with a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I admire him for his boldness and, and his single-mindedness. Yeah. Well, that's his dedication to his craft. Yeah. And to his ego which i think yeah. is a very important thing to feed yeah. that too yeah so glenmore and g10 because you know we've got these beautiful glasses in front of us when was the 10 initially introduced the the the, the glenmore g original yeah. um or the, know, the original uh, uh, honestly yeah. i i can't answer that question and for as long as i've known the glenmore g brand it's been bottled as a 10 year old yeah so i i'm guessing we're going back to the either the late 50s oh, wow. or the early 60s. And before that, the vast majority of Scotch malt whiskey went into blends. It right. just wasn't really popular as a drink single malt. And in the 1960s, a number of brands, primarily Glenfiddich, Glenlivet, mm. and then Glenmorangie, sort of reinvigorated the category. So I think it goes back to then. Now, we renamed it the original in 2007 there we go, when okay. we relaunched the brand. And I slightly tweaked the recipe for it. I didn't change it that much, yeah. but I honestly tried to bring it back 
to my first memory on that magical night in 1984 when I tasted the 10-year-old. I just felt it was a little bit more rounded and more full-bodied, sure. so that's what I tried to take it back to. You know, the crispness and the clarity mm. of Glenmorangie is something I've always appreciated. It, it actually lacks the distortion and ruggedness of John Lennon. Yeah. It's actually very McCartney-esque. A very very beautiful melody, yeah, yeah. and so ten. When you, what are some things musically you yeah. think about when you? Yeah, m- the m- musically, when I, I think of Glenmorangie original, I am. I, it probably makes me think of kind of light-hearted, almost bubblegum pop. Yeah, and you know th- this is going to sound ridiculous, but I did a, an interview once in the UK, oh, quite a few years ago, and the interviewer asked me a number of rather obscure questions. Yeah. What's your favourite car? Which, of course, was the Porsche 917 30 Can-Am car. Of course it was. It's everyone's <laughs> favourite car. And then they asked me what my favourite song was. And that's a very difficult question to yeah. answer. But I eventually plumped for E equals MC squared by Big Audio Dynamite. Oh my if you gosh. know that song. Because yeah. it's such... It's a bonkers song. It's Big a Audio Dynamite song. It's a crazy song. And yeah. it was just such an uplifting, feel-good song. Mm. So that sort of music is what I think about an original. But then if I'm thinking of something like um, La Santa, it's yeah. a lot more like uh, Laush jazz music, Sultry. something like that. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, the, I'm trying to think who has a very supple, deep voice. Yeah. You know, But that is, you're right. Yeah. El- Elvis did that in some, yeah. some of the... Ballads for sure. All right, so the original you, yeah. you think it's Big Audio Dynamite. Yeah, it, it's just, I like that. That's I, good. I think it's just the pure, perfect expression of Glenmorangie. And I liked what you touched on there about that crisp cleanliness. Yeah. If anything goes wrong in the production process, if you have infection, if you have mustiness, anything like that, ruthlessly exposed in this whiskey. Very good point. And yeah. while the majority of my accolades are for some of the experimental (laughs) ones I put at least as much work into maintaining the quality of original as I do anything else because it is so everything is visible yeah right I think that's really it's under HD camera that's what it's like yeah Yeah. Yeah. so you know we've got a glass of it here and it's clean and it's fresh it's floral it's Mm. salving I, I, I just this is a word which is not normally associated with single malt scotch, but the word I would use for that is delicious. <laughs> it's just a delicious flavour profile in the same way that a ripe mango is oh. delicious. There's nothing else like right. it. Luscious. Luscious, you know? that's it. You know, and that's, it's funny too because I think a question I would ask you if I didn't know, now I know better, but it is, which of these whiskeys best represents you? And then that's this foolish question mm. because whatever record you write is you. Yeah. But they're all completely yeah. different. And this is 43 ABV? This is 43, yeah. Yeah. So it's very, very sippable. And yeah. this is something you can find this all yeah. around the world. And it, it, it's, it's one of these things that Glenmorangie falls into this category that I think our friends at Glen Fiddick and Glen Livet also fall into that our whiskies are sometimes looked at as being mainstream mm-hmm. but you know they're they're means they're popular for a reason because they're actually quite good right. i would say i mean you can go anywhere in the world and you yeah. can count on it being good yeah and I'm, I'm gonna say this and this is not an insult but it's easy drinking yeah it really really and is th- that's what i love about it and almost certainly had i started off my drinking with another 
say an Isla whiskey, yeah. I might not be sitting here today. It might have had a completely different effect on me. Sure. And the first Isla whiskey I tried was Lagavulin, which is a 12 year old at that time. Yeah. And I was horrified with the taste. Absolutely yeah. horrified. You, you like bounced, it now. Yeah, I was going to say you yeah. bound it and grow yeah. a little warmer yeah. to it. But I figured, you know what? Like, Ardbeg would be you with a beard. Yeah. A big chunky gray beard right that's kind of i think the duality between glenmorgie I, and I, I actually did grow a beard about four or five years ago and i've still got a picture of me with it but it came in gray and i thought it's going it's going <laughs> i can't you know this white stuff here uh, it's yeah. driving me nuts but i don't want to shave it because i don't want to look like it's yeah, my, my, mine was a lot grayer than yours oh, right? it was gray all over yeah does it Which match strange because yeah. my, my head's still relatively dark exactly that's yeah that's the thing yeah someday aging is an interesting yeah. concept in itself so you're here in austin texas for the seven gram whiskey society mm -hmm. which we've had the likes of the dan's done a, a beautiful class animated mm -hmm. wonderful presenter and i can't wait to see what you kind of bring to the table too so inquisitive and you've mm -hmm. sipped this and touched it so let's sip the alta and talk yeah, about yeah. your latest 10th installment most yeah. innovative too yeah i i would say so so the inspiration for Alta was twofold. Firstly, um, the fact that I did my PhD in yeast physiology yeah. and the fact that yeast is really just a bit of a commodity in the whiskey industry. Interesting. Everyone's using the same thing. They're just looking for alcohol ah, from it. Okay. And that, that I find that very painful because, you know, of course, it's responsible for creating not just the alcohol, but all these wonderful flavors. Yeah. But, <coughs> excuse me, the second thing which really spurred me on was the late, great Michael Jackson. Now, not the pop star, of whom I was also a big fan, yeah. but the whiskey and beer writer. And in Michael's first World Guide to Whiskey, he's got a little throwaway mention about Glenmorangie having its own house yeast. Oh, really? And I thought, really? And I quizzed Michael about that, because I met him many times. And I could find no evidence of that whatsoever. So I thought, right, okay, I'm going to ensure that we do have our sure. own house yeast. So that's where it started from. And my initial idea was simply to open the washbacks after the mash, leave it open to the atmosphere and see, see what, what happens. happens. Yeah, right. But I had a pretty good idea that the results might not be as delicious as the rest <laughs> of the whiskies. And I'm thinking of Belgian Lambic beers oh, wow, okay. here. So um, I thought, right, where, where, where will I find an indigenous yeast in the local area? And to be honest, I could have swabbed just about anything. But we grow our own barley in the fields adjacent to the distillery. Yeah. And I know as an ex-maltster and barley buyer that the ears of ripening barley are hoaching yeah, with, with yeah. bugs. So I took some ears of the green barley, I wrapped it up, I sent it down to Lalamand, our, our yeast, one of our yeast suppliers, mm. and they swabbed the ears of barley on agar plates. And guess what? They found all sorts of monsters growing up. Oh. And they isolated a number of wild yeast varieties. And eventually we settled on one which we believed would have fermentative capacity. So that even before you use it in the mash. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you, oh, yeah, you yeah. picked the, the, them. Okay. The, this is way, way back in Brave the day. New World kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and, and we, we liaised back and forth and eventually we found one. And it was a subspecies of Saccharomyces. Okay. So we named it Saccharomyces diamath. Diamath Gaelic phrase meaning God is good. Okay. 
because that's what the ancient Egyptians used to say when they produced alcohol. They yeah. didn't know what was producing it. But it came from yeah. above. So um, eventually they, they cultured it up into an industrial quantity enough for me to have one week's worth of production. And the most beautiful part of the whole story, and it's pure coincidence, is that by the time I had my batch of yeast to use, the malt from the very same barley it was swabbed from was ready and no came into the way. distillery. So the circle was squared, That's so to speak. Crazy. And uh, like I say, it just could not have worked out better. So God is good. Man, it's circular, isn't it? Right. He? <laughs> right. So um, we got lower alcohol yields, which I have to say was music to my ears because I thought this is a different beastie. Yeah. So maybe you wouldn't have even got I, anything, I, right? I would have. Yeah, that, 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 that was a possibility. Sure. But, you know, we'd done so many laboratory trials with it that we knew yeah. that it could ferment. And I produced a week's worth of spirit. The new make spirit was noticeably different from the classic Glenmorangie spirit. Yeah. And that then left me with a little bit of a dilemma because I thought if I put it into very active wood, it's highly likely that the difference, which was not huge, yeah. but the difference in flavor would be masked. So I actually used third fill casks for this, which I don't normally do. Right. And just to, to allow the, the, the biggest Raw amount of difference to, to, to shine through. So this is it. That's this it. is Glenmorangie Alta. Cheers. So, and we we do have little pipettes. This here. is fifty something. Fifty one point two. I find that you have not been too prescriptive, which is nice. Yeah. Some people are prescriptive, like you need to drink this way and that. But yeah. you're very open to how to drink it. I, so. I think people drink it however they yeah. like. Because fifty one is a nice sweet yeah. spot, you know. But that that that's I I tasted it at all sorts of different strains, and I knew. I want normally they're 46 the private edition yeah. but I knew I wanted to increase it a little bit just to celebrate the 10th anniversary sure. and at 51.2 it seemed to have the, the sweet perfect. spot Man. so it's much more um, earthy yeah. a little bit more grainy hints of baking bread yeah, different get a little floral like notes bread yeah. kind of and, and if you go back to the original it's that lovely candy sweetness it's not the same in the Alta no, right. Kind of like a scone. Oh, and once you taste it, it's got that real crunchy, crispy bite to it, mm -hmm. but it still has a smoothness. There's more pepper on the palate because of the higher alcohol level. Mm. And I think it's still distinctively Glenmorangie, but... So I'm making this weird face and hold my finger up. Oh. Banana pudding. Yeah. Right, because yep. there's this very cool kind of fatty yep. thing going yep. on with elements of yep. banana and vanilla, right? Yep. Ooh, there's a little bit of vanilla, but it's much less pronounced than in the original, yep. which again you would expect from third fill mm. casks. I mean, that's a stunner. So, so I, I felt it was um, different enough to justify bottling it. And all of the new kids on the block are talking about owning innovation yep. and doing their own wild yeast. And I thought, right, I'm going to bottle this. I did this ages ago, yeah. so that's why we launched it when we did. How many? So I hear this is pretty limited because yeah, there's there, only there, a week there's of production. About, about fifty thousand bottles globally. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fifty. I mean, in a Glenmorangie, at fifty-one plus. I mean, that's, it, it's that's less than one percent of the total volume of the brand yeah. will sell this year. Mm. So it mm. is limited, and it will sell out. Oh, for sure. There's a cool thing, like you know, 
people say reverse nasal. I don't, I don't want to intellectualize it, but that stuff that's left on your tongue, mm. that vapor of flavor, this is really pleasant too. And it gets almost like cooked down consomme, mm. like a very kind of salty umami thing. So you're really packing a three punch brightness, the, the fat, and then this yeah. savory stuff. It's really beautiful. I, I mean, I, I have to say, while I, un, while I know yeast, I know whiskey. I was very open-minded as to how this would turn out. Yeah. So tonight we're going to finally. I think this is the first mass tasting in Austin of yep. the Alta. And so, well, what uh, kinds uh, of things do you want to? You want people to know where it came from, the story. Yeah, I, I want them to know all about the story and the little anecdotal twists yeah. and turns that happened in there. What else I learned along the way which may lead to other new products. Sure. And I've already hinted at one of them when I talked about a particular style of beer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So You can go. It's, I think that's right around the 26-minute mark. Okay. Right. <laughs> well, so I got two questions left for you. Right. And I ask this of everybody, and I will, I'll be a little more specific with you. So you're anywhere in the world sipping the Alta, and you can have a conversation and a drink with any artist mm-hmm. living or deceased who might you like just to sit there and wax poetic with but I, I think one of the people i would like to do that with and it's a gentleman i actually worked with once mm. and i never really got as close to him as i would have liked um, it's a chef called pierre gagnier mm. and he's got three michelin stars in his restaurant in paris and he uses really crazy experimental cooking. Yeah. And I never really got a, a chance to speak to him about what inspired him. So I think he would appreciate that. So that would probably be my answer. Very, very culinary yeah. forward. Yeah. Th- and this whiskey is too. And you know, in terms of other artists, although the, the gentleman didn't actually drink, of course, I would dearly have loved to have met Prince. I saw him live a few times. Oh, yeah. I didn't get close to meeting him. Man, yeah, it would be love. You could probably just let him talk for a while while you sip a few mm-hmm. yourself. You mentioned this is the last question. You mentioned having this journal where you script things. Mm-hmm. You, what's the word? You juxtapose ideas mm-hmm. inspired by many different things. Do you see this journal in some form ever coming becoming fiction or a, an actual book <laughs> at some point? <laughs> It would be very, it'd be very difficult to take the rambling, incoherent <laughs> musings of myself and put it into something structured. Yeah. But you, but you never know, Michael. You never know. I jealously guard it. I don't let anyone. Oh, see you it. don't see it. Oh, yeah. okay. it's, I mean, it's very personal to me. Yeah. And a lot of people just wouldn't understand it at all. Has anyone and, seen it ever? Um. One one member of my team's seen it, and my wife has seen it, but yeah. she, she's quite dismissive and skeptical of it, and that's fine. That's yeah. fine. You know, keeps it more yeah. of an icon yeah. and an enigma yeah. than it ever was. And you know, this is going to sound totally ridiculous, but I had a very deep sleep. I don't sleep well normally because there's too much going on in my head. Yeah. But I had a very deep sleep one evening, one night last week in Scotland, and I too incredibly vivid dreams and one of them was that I was outside my old school and we all had like parachutes uh-huh. and we were allowing the wind to catch us and we were taking off and we were flying Yeah. and the second one was that I'd created this 
magical liquid, <laughs> a, a fruit-based liquid. Sure. And as the liquid sat in the jar and aged, it developed a solid crust at the top, which we were taking off and eating. And from these two ideas, I'm going to make a whiskey. I don't know what it'll be yet. But I, yeah. My mind is blown because uh, I already was starting to think of flavors. Uh, you do think about parachutes uh, and uh, flying. Uh, this is how true artists make things. <laughs> Some intensely <laughs> deranged ideas. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been brilliant chatting with you mm. and sipping the scotch, and I can't wait to see how the presentation yeah. goes tonight. And your team here, can't that Brendan's amazing dude. Dan's a yeah. great dude, Renee. So I appreciate you taking the time out, and I hope to no, get it, you and It's my soon. pleasure, and thank you for making it such an interesting interview. Well, I appreciate that. Right. I'm always appreciate trying to. Never keep people off yeah. guard, right? <laughs> thank you. Well, there we have it. Again, Ardbeg Day, June 1st, 2019, with the master distiller, the creative mastermind himself of Ardbeg and Glenn Morangi Marks, Mr. Dr. Bill Lumsden. What a pleasure to get to sit down and chat with him. You know, a lot of people consider him a legend in the industry. He's done so many things in the world of Isla Scotch, but he's a good dude. He's just fun to talk to. You know, as someone we were going off mic and things really got interesting and you kind of pick his brain about the other stuff he's really into art music movies these kinds of things so a real renaissance man and a guy you want to drink with thanks everybody at lvmh for coordinating such a lovely interview and thank you dr bill for taking the time out so thanks everybody for listening to show to v with mike g no matter how much music you think christine has that also is in halloween 3 john carpenter perhaps stealing stuff from himself or if you're saying i can't wait to drink some brilliant scotch tomorrow please keep dancing